It is a universal truth that whenever women are on trial in high-profile cases, the media goes absolutely wild. And while men at trial also generate their fair share of column inches, there's a certain type of sensationalism that is reserved for women on trial. No matter what a woman has allegedly done, no matter what she says in court, like every other aspect of women's lives, there will always be a, a fanatical obsession with what she's wearing and how she looks. So in 2019, when a young woman in her late 20s was appearing in a New York City court on a string of theft and grand larceny charges and hired a personal stylist to style her for each court appearance, the media went crazy. I'm Kat. I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder, where this week we're once again talking about a millennial con artist in New York City. This time we're telling you the story of Anna Sorokin, also known as Anna Delvey, the fake heiress. So let's go back to the beginning and find out how Anna Sorokin became Anna Delvey and spent almost two years conning and defrauding the city's financial institutions and social elite. Anna was born Anna Sorokina in January 1991 in Domo de Dovo, which is a satellite city about 25 miles southeast of Moscow, in what was then still the Soviet Union. Which makes her a couple of months older than Taylor, just under six months older than me. We have done nothing with our lives. We certainly haven't committed enough large-scale fraud, if any of these people are an indication. No, I don't think I've committed any fraud. Not purposely. Perhaps accidentally. Uh, From what we know, she had a fairly ordinary childhood in Russia. She was the eldest of two children. Her father was a truck driver and her mother owned a convenience store. But in 2007, when Anna was 16, her family moved to Eschwelle, Uh, which is an area of Germany near the Dutch border, about 30 miles west of Cologne. Anna was reportedly an honours student who excelled in foreign languages at school, including German, French and English, and has been described as a quiet girl by her former classmates. Uh, She also gained German citizenship at some point after the family moved there, and her family, as far as we know, do still live in uh, Western Germany. After finishing school, Anna allegedly moved to London in 2011 to study fashion at Central St. Martins, also known as CSM. Central St. Martins is an art and design university most well known for its fashion courses. According to The Guardian, it's ranked the best in the UK for undergraduate fashion degrees and second best for master's and postgraduate courses. It's generally considered one of the best fashion schools in the world and its alumni include Alexander McQueen, Stella McCartney, Paloma Faith, and Jarvis Cocker. Uh, As you might expect for an institution this prestigious, it's (laughs) very difficult to get a place on any course, with some articles claiming there are hundreds of applicants for each spot. Now, bearing all this in mind, Anna clearly had to have a good level of skill and knowledge when it came to fashion. Uh, But she dropped out during her first year. Uh, However, according to a Daily Mail article, and yes, we know, Daily Mail, it's what we could find here. Yeah. According to the Daily Mail, Anna didn't actually attend CSM. Uh, The university confirmed that Anna had been offered 
a place and had accepted, uh, but she never actually showed up and took courses. So we don't know what she did while she was in London. Yeah, and unusually for the Daily Mail, that article does actually have a lot of like different references and different mm. sources. It's not their usual made-up bullshit. Oh, some um, some newbie from a reputable publication came in and wrote it and then was put in their place, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so, uh, interesting life-imitating art kind of side note. Uh, according to Tatler magazine... As part of Anna's application to get in to Central St. Martins, she wrote an essay on Marie Antoinette titled Victim or Villain. Oh, cool. And she's reportedly very fascinated by Marie Antoinette and even had like a little bow tattooed on her wrist. Um, she was like inspired by Marie Antoinette. So, yeah. Wow. So, uh, Anna returned to Germany after leaving London if she was ever there in the first place, <laughs> um, and moved to Berlin, doing PR for a fashion company, before she relocated again. And this time it was to Paris, where she began an internship at the French fashion magazine Purple. Uh, when she moved to Paris, she began going by the name of Anna Delvey, instead of Anna Sorokin, or Sorokina. And according to a New York Times article, her family have no idea where this name came from. Like, it wasn't one that any of them recognized it wasn't like a grandparent's name or anything um it's been speculated on that it sounds a lot more western yeah whereas sorokin or sorokina does sound russian yeah definitely. Or slavic at least eastern european um whereas delvey or delvey sounds sort of more western european yeah. but no one seems to know where this name came from um whilst in paris Anna reportedly struggled to make friends, but in 2013, she travelled to New York City for Fashion Week as part of her job at Purple. There, she found it easier to make friends and generally just preferred it to her life in Paris. So she made the decision to transfer to Purple's New York offices. Uh, some say that her life of deception began when she moved to New York, but others say that she had been portraying herself as coming from like a wealthy family, uh, pretty much from when she moved to Paris and changed her name, mm. but that was as far as it went. There was no fraud in the legal sense. It was more kind of delusions of grandeur kind of thing. Mm. It's not uncommon for people to like move to a new city and change their name, at least change their like professional name and, yeah. and you know, kind of tweak their backstory. Yeah. Everyone puts their own spin on their story. Yeah. Depending what audience they're playing to. Yeah. Like, so especially in fashion, in publishing, in all of that, all those mm -hmm. worlds, like, that's a pretty common refrain. So that in and of itself is not super weird. Yeah. It's everything that happened next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, according to the BBC Sound series Fake Heiress, Anna used social media, specifically Instagram, to curate her new life in Paris and later New York. Although she was an intern, uh, she was using Instagram to make it seem as though she was much more connected than she really was. As one of the world's most respected fashion bibles, Purple has massive perks in the fashion and showbiz scenes for all of its staff, even the lowly interns. 
So Anna was able to bluff her way into all kinds of exclusive parties and events, which gave her uh, the fuel she needed to portray herself as a Parisian socialite, rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. Not to mention the trips and global events that she attended as a purple employee made it seem like she was just another member of the jet set crowd. uh, And she also had plenty of easy access to designer clothing. Uh, And once she had perfectly curated her trust fund kid image on Instagram, Anna took the con offline. Anna was definitely a people person. Although she'd been described as a shy girl at school, she was outgoing and confident in New York. And let's not forget, the con in con man or con woman sounds for confidence. Yeah. They're confident in themselves, so you feel confident in them too. That is literally the basis of all cons. Yeah. Confidence. Uh, She quit her job at Purple sometime in either late 2013 or early 2014. We're not sure. And it seems that nobody is quite sure because Anna told so many lies about her life. It's difficult to separate fact from fiction. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's no easy feat to separate everything out. Yeah, so the complicated web of lies Anna told led her to be known as German royalty. Just put an asterisk beside that because I'm coming back to it. (laughs) The daughter of a German oil tycoon uh, from a family of arts and antiques dealers in Cologne. Uh, Her father was a German diplomat, a Russian diplomat, a Russian oil tycoon. Uh, You know, the list goes on. Maybe I'm more familiar just from being like European. There is no royal family in Germany and there hasn't been for, I want to say over a hundred years now, because I think it was World War One ended it essentially, yeah. if I remember correctly. So there is no German royalty anymore. Yeah, I think I think that would be pretty easy to check on. But I also think, I think you're right. I think people in the US wouldn't necessarily know that. Yeah, that, that's just what I wondered, like if it's just from literally being located so much closer to Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we don't actually have time in this episode to go into every detail of Anna's long con to defraud New York's social elite and financial institutions, but we're just going to cover the main parts. Otherwise, we'd be here for quite a few hours. Yeah. Days, even. But after quitting her job at Purple Magazine, Anna began talking to her new wealthy friends about the Anna Delvey Foundation, which was an art foundation and private members club that would be headquartered in Manhattan and eventually have galleries and exhibition spaces all over the world. Now, you might be asking, how was Anna supporting herself? She was, after all, unemployed and running around New York with the rich and famous. To which we offer this explanation. She was employing one of the oldest and easiest ways to get out of paying for things. Just skip out on the bill. It's a, you know, logical, dine and dash kind of thing. But on top of that, she was also constantly exploiting her new friends to ensure that she never had to pick up the check in the first place. Which is... You know, clever and industrious, I suppose, depending on how you look at it. Now, one of the most well-known of her early New York friends who she tried to exploit is Chinese art collector and curator Michael Zufu Huang, 
Uh, the pair met at a dinner party in 2015. Uh, Michael was a student at the University of Pennsylvania at the time, but Anna learned that he planned to open his own art gallery, which he has gone on to do very successfully, we might add. And he's been listed on 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 lists. And he's, he's a big deal. Yeah. Um, when Anna learned that Michael was planning to attend the Venice Biennale, which was held from May to November that year, she asked to accompany him, which she agreed to on the understanding that she would reimburse him for the flights and hotel once they returned to New York. But Anna seemed to forget this agreement once they were back in the United States. Michael wasn't alarmed because the circles Anna was running in didn't lose sleep over a like two or three thousand dollars, and the fact that you can talk about how much someone owes you as like, oh, it was two or three thousand. Like, no, two or three pound. Yeah, yeah. Is what I'm like. Oh, it was two or three quid. Don't worry about it. Not like, oh, it was two or three grand. I'll get it when I get it. Like, no, give me right now, right now. No, uh, like in in the cut article about this, I think he's quoted as saying like, you know, sometimes you lend your friends. Three thousand, five thousand dollars. I'm just like, no, you don't. <laughs> we are making friends with the wrong people. Yeah, like, fuck, I'm doing it wrong. Uh, yeah. So in January 2016, Michael attended Anna's 25th birthday party at a Soho restaurant called Sadell's, and he began to realize then that Anna was a con woman. So she. Already owes him about three grand for Venice. And then he finds out that Anna had actually booked the restaurant using a false credit card number and contact details. And when the restaurant staff realised this, they contacted Michael to settle the bill. And this is because one of the restaurant's staff members had actually recognised him. They'd seen him in Anna's pictures on Instagram and contacted him through Instagram to settle the bill because... She had put a fake credit card number down. Um, so yeah, he ended up settling the bill and then he had to chase Anna for the money, not just for dinner, but also for Venice. And he was eventually repaid some of the money, but it came from an unknown Venmo account. Which is... So it wasn't even her sketchy. Who paid back. Yeah. Yeah. And he later told Artnet that he was lucky because she only stung him for three grand. <sighs> but this was pretty much the end of their friendship and they didn't socialise again. But following Anna's trial, Michael did go on to purchase a painting of her in court, which is now displayed in one of his collections. I kind of love that. I, have to I say. do. I think that's great. So... During this whole time, Anna had been trying to get investors on board for her Anna Delvey Foundation. Uh, and according to The Cut, she had been working the scene in New York with another friend who was also trying to get funding for an app. Uh, but in 2016, not long after the birthday dinner incident, this up-and-coming tech CEO left New York and Anna was left on her own. Yeah, the... Uh, the BBC series Fake Heiress that goes into more detail about who this um, CEO was. Mm -hmm. So she presented herself as a German heiress who would come into her trust fund at the age of 25. But now she was 25 and there was no trust 
fun to be seen. Uh, so Anna changed tack and approached Banks for the $22 million she needed to get the Anna Delvey Foundation up and running. $22 million. Hello, Bank. Yeah. I'd like $22 million. The numbers getting thrown around are just so insane to me. I'm just like, this is just like monopoly money at this point. Unbelievable. To me. Like, actually, I don't think you can take out $22 million in monopoly. No, there's not enough <laughs> bills in the set. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, that's, yeah. So, uh, as you might imagine, getting a loan for $22 million isn't exactly like going into your local ba bank branch and trying to get a mortgage or a personal loan where they use your credit score and an algorithm to determine your fate and how much they'll lend you. This is like ultra-rich banking where relationships are cultivated Bankers are wined and dined, and names and reputation are worth much, much more than just a credit score. So Anna began working her contacts in New York and managed to cultivate a relationship at the City National Bank, which is not to be confused with Citibank, who is also going to make an appearance here soon. So yeah, City National Bank is the one we're talking about first. Uh, but even in these wealthy banking circles, there's a certain amount of due diligence that the bank goes through before they just hand over $22 million to a random so-called German heiress. And this presented another problem for Anna. Yeah, so Anna only had a tourist visa for the US, known as an ESTA, E-S-T-A, which isn't even a visa, it's like a visa waiver. Yeah. Um. So when I went to the US like two years ago you pay like I think it's like $14 10-12 pounds and you have an Esther for two years and you can come and go however much you want but you can't stay for longer than 90 days at a time yeah when you're coming and going so much like that you can't just hop over the border to like Montreal or like just over to Tijuana or even like to the Bahamas for a day or two and then re-enter you can get away with it once or twice if you're like traveling around North America and have proof of where you're staying and things like that. And an like a return flight. Mm -hmm. But when you're essentially trying to live in the US on a tourist visa, much like Anna was trying to, you have to leave the country for like a decent period of time, at least a few weeks or a few months, or else you'll start raising red flags on the system when you come back into the US and risk deportation yeah. and then being banned from re-entering again so as i said esther waves a normal visa process for citizens of certain countries and you uh eu countries fall into this esther waiver scheme and then if you want to stay in the us as a tourist continuously for longer than 90 days i think you can stay up to 180 mm -hmm. you have to apply for a proper tourist visa um, so in late 2016, Anna's Esther visa was about to expire, or the period she could stay was about to expire. So she left the US and returned to her family home in Germany. But that did not stop her trying to defraud the banks from afar. 
So Anna had scouted a location for her foundation on Park Avenue called Church Missions House, which is a large historic building on the corner of Park Avenue South and East 22nd Street. Uh, she had viewed it many times with real estate agents, architects, potential investors, and contractors who would advise on renovations. You know, this wasn't just sort of like a quick scam to try to make some money. This was a long con with the potential to make Anna and her investors some serious money. Uh, and had she actually been an heiress about to come into a 60 million euro trust fund, this project probably would have come together. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I find incredible about this is that it was very well researched. It was very well laid out. It was like 90 something page. Oh yeah. Portfolio. Prospectus, yeah. It was all done very professionally and everything. Had she actually had the real sort of influence and name and connections and money, this would have come together so easily. Yeah. Like even if she had just had a small amount of like small in the grand scheme of things, a small amount of liquid capital to show investors I'm putting up this much of my own money, help me out. It probably would have yeah. gone off without a hitch until much yeah. further down the line and everything would have collapsed spectacularly. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Uh, it's like this kind of money and like real estate. It's like making me itchy. Literally, I'm sitting here itching my arm because <laughs> it's just like so. I wondered what you're doing. I can see you starting to like, you almost look like you're about to convulse. Yeah. It's like it just makes me anxious <laughs> like th this is so much money <laughs> see it has the opposite effect on me because i'm like this is this is like play money at this point to me because it's money that i will never have like i can't comprehend yeah. that money unless me or someone close to me wins the euro millions and wins like 100 million euros <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm never gonna comprehend what that kind of money feels and looks like yeah i mean most people so to me i'm just like but nah, it's just playing money at this. Nah. It's just wild. Now, she had also met with many influ influential names in New York's cultural scene and walked them through her plans and asked for their advice. Um, a website appeared with all the plans for the Anna Delvey Foundation, including some of these big influential names as board members and advisors. But... <laughs> None of these people had ever actually agreed to sit on the board or advise Anna's projects. Most of them had only met Anna once or twice. Uh, some had only met her in passing, where a few sentences had been exchanged. But that didn't stop Anna trying to use their names for leverage when she applied for a $22 million loan from City National Bank. Which reminds me of Anne Friedman and the Nodler forgery scandal. because. She had people who, like, mm. she'd bring into the office and be like, look at that painting. And they'd look at it and they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a painting. And then she'd tell potential buyers, so-and-so authenticated yeah. this painting. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because when this all came to trial, Anna's lawyer sort of defended this and being like, well, if people were advising her and talking to her about it, it's perfectly, you know, logical that she would expect that they were going to sit on the board and advise and things it's like no it's not no, that's not the same thing 
at all. No. So, to support her application to City National Bank, Anna provided the bank with all the relevant documents showing she had a trust fund of 60 million euros in Switzerland. I think that's like 50 million pound. Probably. It's it's in the monopoly money. Like region. that's the thing when you get to this high up, yes, the exchange rates can change by like tens of millions, but also when you've got 50 or 60 million, it's not that big a difference. <laughs> it's it's all tens of millions. Yeah. 51.3 million pounds. 71 Point zero six million dollars. Ooh. Yeah, I realized when I got to the end of this writing the script that I haven't put all like the exchange rates in that I normally do because I think at this point it's because it was so, it's so like big. crazy money. I was like, there's no point. It, yeah, it's like ultimately it's a fuck ton of money. Although if we do have any listeners to whom this is like real money, please join our Patreon or like Hi friends. Just, just just hang out with us or something. <laughs> hey guys. What's up? Tell tell all your rich friends to listen. <laughs> you look cool today. Are those new headphones? Are they? Mm. Rich people are the best. $500 headphones. That's cool. Mine cost $12. <laughs> yeah, I think mine were about that. <laughs> <laughs> Highest quality equipment for the highest quality end product. <laughs> so yeah, Six, sixty million euros, uh, fifty million pounds, seventy million dollars. There's a lot. This is what we're working with. Uh huh. So these were, of course, forged documents. Anna had just googled the names of lawyers, like financial or lawyers who specialize in like financial activity, in the Cologne area. And just used one of the names she found. And it gets better. These documents were made in Microsoft Word. Oh, God. <sighs> and, yeah, they were made like, with like, untraceable email addresses and burner phones. But she was in Germany. She was near Cologne. So yeah. even if the bank could trace it, it's all coming back to the right area. That's true. And these forged documents seemed to work. The bank, like, accepted them and it didn't raise any red flags, but she was deemed too high a risk because she didn't have the, any liquid capital to start with. Yeah. And City National Bank declined her loan. So Anna went to the Fortress Investment Group, and this is where things get a bit complicated. So Fortress agreed to consider the loan application, but they needed $100,000 to cover the legal expenses up front uh, that they would incur doing their due diligence. It was a bit of back and forth, and Anna eventually agreed to pay the $100,000 they were asking for. She did this by going back to City National Bank, once again telling this story to a new, like a different employee, about how she was about to come into a 60 million euro trust fund. And just needed a cool $100,000 as a temporary overdraft to cover her for a few weeks. Uh, uh. Also, who, 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 $100,000 for a few weeks? 
Yeah. Also, also, pick a different bank. Yeah. Like, how how many massive banks are there in New York City? Or any, just, just, don't go back to the same one. (laughs) Unbelievably, it worked. And she was granted (sighs) the temporary overdraft which she quickly transferred over to Fortress for them to begin their background checks and due diligence. You know, I think this is an episode we should have filmed. Yeah. So that people can just see. (laughs) All the faces we're making. Yeah. (laughs) Although that would require, like, putting on clothes that aren't pyjamas and makeup and... Oh, my hair's not too bad today. Well, today, my hair looks like I'm Kaniki from Greece, so... (laughs) It's not the best look I've ever had. I see it now. You see, I hadn't even I hadn't even noticed it, yep. but I can see it now. Yep. <laughs> it's just it does what it wants to these days. <laughs> I've given up. So obviously things were going pretty well for Anna. Like she was she had she had all the balls rolling. Uh but then a managing director at Fortress became suspicious. Uh, when we, they realized that this German heiress was born and brought up in Russia. Mm-hmm. As, and not just Russia. It was Soviet, Soviet Russia. Russia when she was born. Yeah. So, like, a little weird. A little confusing. Um, and now, all the forged bank documents created using Microsoft Word may have worked, uh, but there was one piece of documentation that Anna wasn't able to forge, and that was her passport. Uh, Because Anna may have gained German citizenship in her teens, but her passport still obviously showed that she was born in Soviet Russia. And that is what ultimately raised red flags at the Fortress Investment Group. Yeah, so in early 2017, Fortress contacted Anna telling her that everything looked good and that they had one final thing to tick off the list before they could release the funds to her. They had to send someone to speak with her banker in Switzerland and verify the amount that was in her trust fund. And once that was done, they were good to go and Anna could have her money. You know, no big deal. This is when Anna started to panic. So far, she'd been able to use a variety of email addresses and burner phones to impersonate the various financial figures she needed to. But there was no way that she could impersonate the manager of the bank in Switzerland where her supposed fictitious trust fund was being held. So rather than risk Fortress finding out that she had been trying to defraud them, Anna fobbed them off for a week or two, gathering contact info, things like that, always coming up with a story. But after a few weeks, she went back to them and told them that her father was now funding her project and cancelled her loan application. So, of the £100,000 she'd paid to them for the background checks and legal processes and everything, only forty-five grand had been spent. Fifty-five grand had not and that was just returned to her. Same as you would like in a, like a deposit scheme. Yeah. So, rather than use that to make a dent in, you know, this temporary overdraft she had, uh, and now owed City National Bank, Anna went on a shopping spree and lived the high life in New York City. So in February 2017, Anna moved into the 
11 Howard Hotel, which is an upscale hotel located at 11 Howard Street in Soho. Uh, that, of course, like all of these places, use a, uses a lot of buzzwords in its marketing, like innovative, inventive, and conscious hospitality. I still don't know what that means. I went on the website to see like what it was like. Yes, it's very flash, fancy photography and very like yeah, like the the design and everything of the website is great. But I still don't know what the hell it is. I'm like, I think I'm okay. If I book a room, I'm staying there to say I stayed there. Yes, that's the impression I get. Yes, it's definitely. There's a lot of those like boutique hotels in Soho and Tribeca where it's like, oh, I stayed at the Soho house. I stayed at 11 Howard. It's like, oh, it's the place you go to so people mm. know that you go there. Yeah. So 11 Howard is, you know, the kind of place, as with most very upscale hotels, that requires you to put a credit card down when you check in to cover, like, incidentals and anything you might want to charge to your room. Unlike the places I stay, where they screw the soap dispensers to the wall and hide the spare pillows in the back of the wardrobe. Oh, yeah. To make sure you don't actually use them. No. <laughs> My favorite are the ones where the clothes hangers are permanently attached to the closet rod. <laughs> or they're like the ones where you can take them out, but they don't, they don't have, have a heads, hook on. Yeah. They're like, they, yeah, they like slip into like a hook a loop that's attached to the wrist. Yeah. It's like, what am I going to do? With, like, uh, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> that being said, have you seen the price of coat hangers these days? That's true. And they're usually the wooden ones, so at least that's something. Yeah. So, fancy place, you put a, you put a credit card down. Somehow, Anna managed to check in without putting a credit card on file. Uh, she claimed to know the owner and managed to stay in the penthouse for weeks on end without paying a cent. She would eat at the restaurants in the hotel and work out with a trainer who worked in the hotel gym, all while charging everything to her room. Uh, she tipped generously, hand regularly handing out $100 bills in cash to reception staff and Uber drivers. Uh, in less than two months, she managed to rack up a $30,000 bill. And that's not including all the designer clothes and new tech that she'd been buying at the same time. Now, when she was confronted with the bill by hotel staff, Anna played the oldest trick in the book. She was offended beyond belief. Just, I am outraged. You would even suggest such a thing. Uh, it's a common trick played by people trying to get out of paying bills. You know, they're, they're so offended that anyone would question their credibility and their integrity and even hint that they might leave without paying the bill. Unless you're the kind of person that likes confrontation, <laughs> this kind of reaction tends to make you very uncomfortable. In most cases, you're not implying that, but it is hotel policy. Yeah. But when people are making a scene, accusing you of accusing them of trying to walk the check... You just let it go and ask them to rectify it at their own convenience because everyone is so uncomfortable yeah. at this point. So it's more like if if you're causing a scene, especially in a fancy hotel with very like uh well-known clients potentially, like mm. that could potentially cause you more more damage to your business than a you know, yeah. a, an unpaid bill. And also in that case, the staff are much more expendable than the wealthy customer. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, for sure. So this actually worked for a while, a week or two, but when it became clear that legal action would be taken if she didn't pay off at least some of the bill, Anna reluctantly paid her bill. So this $30,000 came from another old-fashioned trick, which is called check-kiting. She wrote checks to herself from one of her accounts and then deposited them into her Citibank account. Um, So I think she was writing them from the City National Bank Mm -hmm. and depositing them into the Citibank account. Now, because checks are just slow-paced, like bank... Most things are digital now, but checks do still exist because banks see it as being worth the risk for, especially these kind of ultra wealthy banks, see it as being a risk to keep older and old money clients happy. So banks can take up to 24 hours to process a check from one one bank to another. So in the US, the Federal Reserve floats the money. This is the float period. So until the checks have been cleared, the Federal Reserve floats the money and it's instantly in the new account. Anna knew this, so she withdrew the money from the Citibank account during this float period before Citibank and City National Bank could come together and realise there was no money. And so before the checks bounced. And Anna managed to deposit $160,000 worth of checks and withdrew 70,000 of that before they bounced. And that's really risky. Oh yeah. Cuz that's the pa- that's where there's a paper that's trail. That's paper trail. Like, like it's 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 free money, quote unquote, if you can pull it off, but now you're getting into like serious because in all the other instances, like obviously she she went to city national bank and said oh i'm i want i want to do this loan mm-hmm. and they said no they went she went back to her and was like okay how about an overdraft essentially it's it's kind of the bank's fault for not doing yeah. enough due diligence to realize this woman does not have enough money to pay back a hundred thousand dollar overdraft but here mm-hmm. you're getting into willful like theft <laughs> yeah i mean she is defrauding the banks but she's taking advantage of their like you say lack of due diligence yeah. and their stupidity at some points yeah. whereas now with check kiting it's willful yeah fraud. it's like i know this is going to happen just by the mechanics of banking and so i'm going mm. to sort of scoop some extra money out of this yeah whereas otherwise you could be like well i was trying my luck and it's not my fault exactly despite settling her bill anna still refused to put a credit card on file at 11 howard uh she did try to gift a case of 1975 dom perignon champagne to the staff when uh she was once again confronted about her credit card but that didn't work because they weren't allowed to accept such high value gifts especially of alcohol um, yeah. which is fair. And uh, soon she was evicted from the hotel. I mean, I think they should be able to accept it, but it sh- they should it should have been like, thank you. Now put your well, credit exactly. card. Exactly. It's like I think the ho- I think the hotel should have let them keep it. Like, like, yes, I'll take your 
very expensive booze. Pay your bill. Yeah. Now, she had an interesting way of getting revenge on the hotel staff who evicted her. She bought the dom she bought domains in all of their names so that if they ever wanted a domain with their own name, they would have to pay her for it. Uh, according to the BBC Sound series Fake Heiress, this was a move Anna had picked up from her friend, disgraced farmer bro and former hedge fund manager Martin Shkreli. Uh, he reportedly bought the domain names of anyone who crossed him when he became the most hated man in America for jacking up the price of a HIV drug called Daraprim uh, from $13 per pill to over $700 a pill. He then offered to sell the domains back at crazy prices he knew these people couldn't afford. Anna, according to this BBC series, called him her guru. Cool. Um, he's in prison for fraud, still. Uh, although he did petition the court for compassionate re release last year so that his pharma company could create the cure for COVID. Which is definitely what would have happened. <laughs> yeah. As I said, he is still in prison. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see how that didn't work on humanity is probably much better for it. Not good when you're calling that caliber of person your guru. No. So Anna soon moved on to her next scam, trying to charter a flight to Omaha, Nebraska, to then try and bluff her way into the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting and meet Warren Buffett. It's bold. Yeah, you got to give her I, that. I it's, give her that. Good lord, it's, it's bold. She's she's really ambitious. She's really reaching for yeah, it. Yeah, yep. Oh god. So she was using a service called Blade, which apparently is kind of like Uber, but for private and charter flights. And it's not for average Joes. It's like again, it's like an ultra wealthy thing. You have to be yeah. known to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so with Blade, the round trip from New York to Omaha was just under $35,000. So uh, she forged a wire transfer confirmation slip. And she had met the Blade CEO at a party. And the company believed her to be an acceptable level of risk and allowed her to fly on the understanding that she would settle the bill afterwards. Of course, she didn't. Uh, upon her return to New York, she reportedly told friends and acquaintances that she ended up at a dinner with Bill Gates and other such high-profile figures, when in reality, all she had done in Omaha was go to the zoo and get drunk. Yeah, so when Anna got back from Omaha, she began working on her next scheme. And it was huge. Uh... Now, it, it is worth noting that sources vary as to when Anna was evicted from Eleven Howard. Some say it was before she went to Omaha. Others say that she returned to Omaha to find uh, herself locked out of her room and her things in the hotel's storage. Yeah. And it's not clear where she lived afterwards. There's various reports of her being put up by friends or people like helping like check her into a hotel for a night or whatever. But yeah. In May 2017, she decided that she needed a videographer to follow her around so that there would be footage of her and the behind-the-scenes story of the Anna Delvey Foundation. 
This sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. We've actually bookended July quite nicely with our millennial con yeah, artists. actually. I was thinking that. Yeah. It's, it's a nice coincidence. Yeah. Uh, so while she was living at the Eleven Howard, Anna had become friends with a woman named Rachel, who was a photo editor at Vanity Fair magazine. And she soon met Rachel's friend, a videographer called Jessie. Now, she decided to take Rachel and her former personal trainer, Casey, on an all-expenses-paid trip to Morocco, and Jesse would document the trip. He even agreed to waive his usual fee, as the trip was supposed to be all-expenses-paid. By this time in her New York adventure, Anna had reportedly pretty much run out of friends, hence why she was taking her former personal trainer, because she just didn't have anyone else to ask. And she'd reserved like a massive villa to, you know, show off all this wealth. Mm-hmm. But had nobody to sh- show it off to. Yeah, which which doesn't exactly look great on on film. No. And this trip was because, once again, Anna's Esther visa had expired and she needed to leave the US for a few weeks to reset her visa. Um, so, Morocco, decent enough place. Yeah. Uh, it's not close, so you're not like border hopping. But even getting out of the country wasn't going to be simple. No, no, no. So Anna had told Rachel and Casey that she was paying for the whole trip, but just hours before they were due to leave, the flight still hadn't been booked. Uh, Anna asked Rachel to sort out the flights because she was busy with work, and in her job, Rachel often arranged last-minute travel for people. But when the card details Anna had given her were rejected, Rachel began to panic, stress, worry, understandably. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, they were supposed to leave in a few hours, and they didn't have a flight. Uh, Anna claimed to be on the phone with the bank, but as time went by, Rachel became more nervous, and eventually Anna said the flights needed to be booked immediately, or the flight would leave without them. So Rachel offered to put them on her credit card and Anna would just pay her back later. Uh, After they landed, the group were picked up by uniformed chauffeurs and then checked into an exclusive five-star hotel in Marrakesh called La Mamounia, where Anna once again managed to check in without putting down a credit card. Uh, Within a few days, Casey had taken ill and returned to the U.S. and paid for her own return flight. After a few days went by, the hotel realized that there was no credit card on file for this $7,000 per night trip. And just like at 11 Howard, Anna was reportedly apoplectic when the hotel staff had the audacity to ask her for a credit card. And for a few more days, she managed to bob them off with a story that her card was frozen because she'd forgotten to tell the bank that she, she had gone abroad, you know. Skating by there. But eventually the hotel demanded a card or they would call the police. Anna had already charged over $1,000 to Rachel's credit card since they arrived and still continued the story that her cards were frozen. It's a real quick thing to get your cards unfrozen if you're abroad. You ring the bank up, you tell them you're abroad. Or you tell them before you go. Yeah, like... But it's not like a days-long process. It's 
hours at the most yeah or like if like i've had that happen to me before even when i moved here like the first couple days i i think i got some cash out of the atm and then my bank was like hey hey wait you're in scotland that's weird you're not usually in scotland and it was like because of the time difference i think i had to wait till the next day for everything to get sorted but like Mm. eventually yeah it's pretty quick it's not like a week it's not a process that should take a week no definitely not it shouldn't take days it should take like a day max so anna convinced rachel to put her card down she promised rachel that she wouldn't be charged because she would have sorted everything out with the bank by the time they checked out and Rachel reluctantly agreed. Now, Rachel was leaving after the first week and going on to visit friends in France, while Anna and Jesse were staying in Morocco for another week. Obviously, Casey was meant to stay, but she left. Uh, after a couple, of, a couple of days after Rachel flew to France, Jesse had begun to see through Anna's lies. She told him she had paid for his flight home, but when he showed up at the airport, he realised there was no reservation and had to pay for his own flight. He has described her in interviews as one of the most boring people ever, saying that he had no desire to spend any time alone with her in Morocco because of how boring she was. Fair enough. And also, I would imagine with her, like, she spent so much time building up this, like, persona and this image of Hmm. a socialite, this, you know, built this whole sort of sand castle of financial lies there Mm. probably wasn't a lot of actual personality there once it got mixed up with everything else well that's the thing is like when people are so consumed with their like their performance and how they appear to the outside world there is no substance there because they like they just can't even relax and enjoy anything because they're worried about that facade yeah exactly and he was also very wary of her claims to be getting her cards reactivated, and unlike Rachel, he refused to let her use his credit card for anything. Good job, mate. Probably the best decision he yeah, made. definitely. Of course, Anna wasn't getting her cards reactivated, and she wasn't about to wire the money to Rachel, because she had no money. And by the time Rachel returned to the United States, her cards had been charged $62,000, about 50,000 pounds uh, for the hotel, the flights, day trips, and shopping sprees. Uh, and not only this, but Rachel had charged some of it to her work credit card. Now, it's, it's pretty easy for us to think like, wow, that's really stupid. Like, who would even do such a thing? But you have to think about it for a minute. You know, Rachel had known that Anna, when she lived at 11 Howard for two months and charged everything, even a $300 per hour personal trainer to her room bill. And she knew that she had chartered a private jet to Omaha and back. And Anna was picking up bills in bars and restaurants. You know, Rachel would have assumed that those bills had each been paid in full. Like she didn't know about the web of lies that was going on in the background. Um, Anna's proposals for the Anna Delvey Foundation seemed legit and you know there was the 90 page document created to show investors that included everything from 
costs or renovation schedules to projected income over five years. And Anna seemed to know some very influential and important people. So Rachel might have been naive, but it's pretty easy to see how she got sucked in to Anna's world. Yeah, like all of this information didn't come out until after the fact, so. So Anna had moved hotels twice in Morocco, and it's unclear how she paid for them, with one of them in Casablanca threatening to call the police when she refused to pay up front or put down a credit card. But eventually she made her way back to New York. Uh, Rachel contacted Anna to try and get her money back, and Anna promised to wire her $70,000 the following week to cover the cards and make it up to her for causing her so much stress and worry and I'm sure there was a massive like interest rate attached as well. Yeah, probably. Uh, when Rachel didn't get the money, Anna came up with a string of excuses and she even created a fictitious family accountant to tell Rachel that the money was on its way. That's because the original family lawyer, she'd killed him Oh off. yeah, that was my favourite part. <laughs> like, when the banks couldn't get an answer, she was like, oh, oh no. First it was that his daughter was really ill and then it was, oh no, he died well, as well. And I love that the email that she sent was something like, Peter so-and-so has died. Do not contact about this issue at all any further. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this person's died, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And so because she'd killed him off, she had to come up with a new one. Um, and this, you know, fictitious accountant uh, emailed Rachel telling her the money was on its way. Of course, the money sh never showed up because this accountant was Anna just using another untraceable email address. Um, but Anna was quickly back running the same hotel scams when she was back in New York. First at the Beekman Hotel, where she ran up an $11,000 bill in, I think it was in the space of like two weeks yeah. or something. It was a very short period of time. Then she went to the W New York downtown. Now, out of interest, I looked on the W's website, because it's actually part of the Marriott yep. group. I didn't know yeah. that. So um, I looked on the W's website to see how much it costs, because all I know is that they're very expensive and very fancy, and I really want to stay at the one on the beach in Barcelona. <laughs> Because I've seen it like every time I've been at Barcelona twice and every time I've been like near the beach, I'm just like, I really want to stay there. It looks so yeah. nice. It's so fancy, you know. Um, so this coming weekend for when this episode comes out, so looking at the last weekend in July, first weekend in August, for two people to stay Friday to Monday at this hotel in downtown New York would cost a minimum of £300 per night for like a basic double room going up to £500 per night for a corner suite with a park view. And that's just the bog-standard basic rooms that an average Joe can book online. But you can't get, like, prices online for, like, the suites, yeah. the penthouses, that kind of shit. You just can't get the prices for online. No. Like... But yeah. And, I mean, New York hotels are all... Manhattan hotels are all so fucking expensive. But even mm. for a double room, 300 pounds per night is... Yeah, I didn't translate, I mean, it's like $400, basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's a lot. And you're in a double yeah. room above Union Square, basically. It's, not a, it's a nice area of the city, but it's nothing special. 
Yeah, it's not like the Upper East Side or something like that. You're not with all this like prestige. You're not. You don't have like a Central Park view. You have like, no. is it Union? It's Park? Union Square Park. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when it said Park View, and I was and I, I wrote that it's the Park View, and then a while later last night what I was park? thinking, hang on, that's not Central Park because that's too far south to be Central yeah. Park. You're literally, so, yeah. like, um, you're probably looking down on the Union Square Farmer's Market and the, like, four subway en- entrances that are in Union Square. <laughs> uh, but the W actually caught on very quickly, and they evicted her after two days because she wouldn't put her credit card down. And this is when Anna's luck finally started to run out. Took long enough. <laughs> oh, it's been a good gig. It's been four yeah, years. Yeah. Uh. Now, around the same time in early July 2017, Anna had a six-hour lunch meeting at a hotel restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, But this was a hotel where she was not a guest, so it wasn't as easy for her to skip out on the bill. Uh, When she tried to leave without paying, a member of staff followed her, uh, and Anna tried to make excuses that she had just gotten distracted when she stepped out to take a phone call. Sure. Uh, but the restaurant wasn't having that, and she was walked back inside where she tried each of her debit and credit cards to settle the bill, and all of them were declined. Uh, the police were then called, and Anna was arrested. Anna was released without bail, with the charges pending, and uh, was ready to go back to her old tricks. But an article uh, from the New York Post brought it all crashing down around her with one headline. Wannabe socialite busted for skipping out on pricey hotel bills. Unbeknown to Anna, the W and Beekman were also pursuing legal action over her unpaid bills, and now it had gone public in a short article of just 221 words. And yes, we checked the word count. Uh, I mean, copied and pasted, I didn't count every individual (laughs) word. One, two... Um, so this article claimed that she had run up large bills at the Beekman and W hotels and attempted to dine and dash at the hotel restaurant. The article also revealed Anna's real name, Sorokin. Around this time, the Mission House building on Park Avenue was also let to another company, which kind of torpedoed her whole facade of that's where my foundation will be. Yeah, I'm also amazed that it was that she managed to hold on to it for so long. Yeah, I know, right? The the like the premise of oh, I'm just getting the money together. Yeah. yeah. So it seemed like everything had pretty much come to an end, but Anna had one last con in mind: some more good old fashioned check kiting. Uh, Anna wrote herself some more checks to the tune of $8,000, and with her sights set on California, she spent the money before they had a chance to bounce. Yeah, She bounced before the checks did. Hey! Quite proud of myself for that one. <laughs> You're usually the one with the puns. I know, I know. Hmm. I'll do better. So, just before Anna left New York, Rachel and Casey had met with her for lunch to try and get some answers. Kind of a bit of a cross between give us our money and this is an intervention. (laughs) And it was actually during this lunch that Rachel and Casey read the article by the New York Post. Because Anna had told them that they described her, she was heartbroken that they described her as a wannabe socialite. Yeah, yeah. 
And this is when the penny finally dropped for Rachel that she wasn't going to get her money back. I think Casey by this point had kind of seen through it, but she wasn't owed anything like what Rachel was. Yeah. But yeah, so she sent the article to a number of friends who were aware of her struggle to get the money back from Anna. She also sent it to the New York County Attorney's Office. Who began to look into Anna for fraud. As well as, you know, the charges that the W, the Beekman, and the other hotel were. This year, and I can't remember, I don't know if the other hotel is named anywhere, but like, it's like a fancy hotel in New yeah. York where she yeah. walked out. But Anna was hiding out at the most exclusive of LA rehab centers, Passages in Malibu, claiming that her father had forced her to check in there to, quote, work on herself before he would release her trust fund. Um, A grand jury was convened in August 2017, and Anna was indicted on two counts of attempted grand grand larceny in the first degree, three counts of grand larceny in the second degree, one count of grand larceny in the third degree, and one count of misdemeanor theft of services. The attempted first degree charges relate to her attempts to defraud the banks and take out the $22 million loan. Uh, The second degree charges referred to the incident in Morocco and the check kiting, and the theft of services and misdemeanor referred to the hotels and restaurants where she'd walked the bills. There was just one problem. Nobody knew where Anna was hiding. (laughs) Rachel got back in touch with Anna, checking in to see how she was doing and where she was staying, most importantly. Uh, When Anna revealed that she was at Passages... Rachel offered to come and visit her because, you know, it's a luxury celebrity rehab center. So you get certain privileges like going out for lunch when you feel like it. But in actuality, it was a sting operation. Rachel wasn't waiting outside passages for Anna. The LAPD were waiting for her instead. So Anna was arrested and returned to New York. Uh, She was deemed a flight risk, because obviously, uh, <laughs> she was denied bail and held at the infamous Rikers Island. And in October 2017, the charges against her were formally announced by the Manhattan District Attorney, who asked any other victims to come forward. Anna appeared in court in December 2018, where she rejected a plea deal, which offered her three to nine years if she served her sentence in Germany. Uh, She pleaded not guilty, and the case went to court in April 2019. That's actually, like, a pretty good plea deal. Yeah, and also I think they added on because she missed a court appearance for those original charges. So Mm -hmm. I think that was tacked on as well to all the other charges on the indictment. Anna's lawyer Todd Spodek hired a stylist for Anna's court appearances in the hopes of humanizing her and projecting the right kind of image to the jury. Uh, but... As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this backfired spectacularly. So as well as like the press being obsessed with her like turning up in designer threads every day, uh, prosecutors pointed out that Anna cared more about her appearance than the damage she had caused and that she seemed to revel in the pain and upset of her victims. Uh, one day, Anna refused to enter court because her outfit for the day had not been pressed. Without it, she would have had to appear in her standard prison uniform. Uh, But the judge ordered Anna to attend, and eventually she did. 
Well, I couldn't find out if she wore her like civilian clothes or prison clothes. I couldn't find that out. Mm-hmm. I think the clothes got there just in time. <laughs> um, Spodek also invoked Frank Sinatra, of all people, uh, to try uh, in an attempt to try and humanize Anna, saying that if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, which is a famous quote of Sinatra's, claiming that you know Anna was just try was just an entrepreneur trying to make her own way in New York City and said that they had both created their own golden opportunities. Why in the world did he think that that was a good idea? I mean, Frank Sinatra, I know there's like all the like, rumored mob connections and various things that yeah. cannot be proven or disproven. But Frank Sinatra was an entertainer. He wasn't defrauding yeah. banks of millions of dollars. Exactly. Like, I don't think a good argument when your client is on trial for fraud is, well, she was just an entrepreneur. She was just trying to make a business. Mm-hmm. It's like, if your your argument is like, well, she was just trying to get money from people when that's what she's literally being charged with and you're trying to defend yeah. her, maybe you need a better argument. <laughs> just none of it is good yeah it's it's just not smart Uh, the jury retired and after two days of deliberations they found Anna Sorokin guilty of all except two charges and these were uh, the attempt one of the attempted grand larceny in the first degree charges and this was in relation to the original loan application to Citibank and second degree larceny in relation to the charges made on Rachel's credit cards now, this is because the prosecutor had to prove intent to defraud, which is incredibly difficult. Uh, in May 2019, Anna was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison and fined $24,000, and she was ordered to pay restitution of about $199,000. Uh, She's moved from Rikers to Bedford Hill Correctional Facility, which is the largest women's prison in New York State. And finally moved to the medium security Albion Correctional Facility. Uh, according to the Fake Heiress series, Anna spent some time in solitary and racked up a number of infractions for fighting and disobeying orders. Uh, she was reportedly working on two memoirs, one of her time in New York and one of her time in prison. And uh, it's said that she enjoyed her time in Rikers to a certain extent because it provided her with plenty of material for her books. Great. In July 2019, Rachel published her book, My Friend Anna, which chronicled the rise and fall of their friendship. Although Anna was not found guilty of the charge relating to Rachel and the Morocco incident, American Express eventually let Rachel off of the charges on her card. But it took two years of negotiating. Imagine having that like hold over you for two years and some of yeah. it's not even your money. Yeah, some of it's from your job. Mm. Like, oh. Uh, Anna Sorokin was sued by New York Attorney General's office in 2019. Uh, and this was using the uh, New York's Son of Sam law, which we talked about last month, uh, mm-hmm. which prevents a criminal uh, from profiting off of their crimes. Now, this was because Shonda Rhimes and Netflix had secured the right 
writes to Anna Story and paid in advance to Anna of $140,000. The Office of Victim Services froze the payment and the money was claimed by City National Bank and Citibank, who were awarded $100,000 and $40,000 respectively. Uh, Future payments from Netflix will now be paid into an escrow account, which is monitored by the Office of Victim Services. Uh, HBO is also working on a show about Anna's exploits with Lena Dunham serving as lead writer. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the HBO series based on Rachel's book? I think so. I can't remember. There's a lot less about the HBO unless I'm looking yeah, in the Yeah, I think it's places. newer. No, I think it's mm-hmm. a newer, it's still in like pre in like development stages yeah. whereas i think the the netflix one has already got like a cast listed online yeah, and everything believed to be in production at the moment um, yeah allegedly anna was released from prison in february 2021 uh so with time served after she was denied bail that is right. just under four years three and a half years yeah uh, yeah, but she was taken back into custody less than a month later. Uh, this time by ICE. I can't remember what ICE stands for. It's in... That's um, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. So yeah, she was taken into custody by ICE for overstaying her visa, which had expired in 2017, which she always knew, everyone knew was going to happen once she'd yeah. been released because she had no visa. And she's currently being held in New Jersey State Prison while she awaits deportation back to Germany. Anna spent her month of freedom courting the media and giving many interviews, including to Tattler and Insider, both of which are linked in the show notes. Uh, And she has reportedly described her prison sentence as, quote, a huge waste of time. Mm. Always good. Good to hear. Uh... (laughs) Although, looking beyond the headlines, that does seem to be a response to the pre-release training she had to undertake, which she which she claimed was workshops where she and others soon to be released had to watch VHS tapes from the 80s and 90s that explained how to get a job by searching through the classified ads in newspapers. That really is a waste of time because the world just doesn't work like that, and it's a damning indictment of the state of the correction system. That so much money goes into the correction system in America. That, and and that's that's their idea, like rehabilitation. Yeah, that's their like pre-release rehabilitation is looking the newspaper classified. It's like, yeah, that's not great. So Anna is uh, working on a TV project to tell her side of the story, and was of course living it up in New York City before she was taken back into custody by ICE. And that is the story of Anna Delvey, the fake heiress, or at least her story so far. Because I really don't think that we've heard the last of Anna. There's no way. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, just imagine how many... They said she had a knack for languages. Yeah. She speaks several. Just imagine how many European countries she could flit about and do Mm. the exact same thing yeah you can see how people get taken in and we all absolutely like we talked about this in the fire festival episode we all like to think we're too smart to fall for it yeah but when you break it down it's like actually 
people aren't that smart. Yeah, and or it's or it's not like it seems like a big ask from this side of things, mm. but when you're in the moment, yeah, and none of this stuff has been revealed, mm. it's like, yeah, a couple hundred dollars for a, a festival ticket. Yeah. And an all expenses trip, like mm. Yeah. It with with hindsight it's easy to to judge, but like you say in the moment, in the moment it's like, oh well, it looks like it looks like a duck and it quacks and it walks and it's everything like a duck. It's yeah. a duck. Yeah. I mean, and it, you can even take it to the point of, like, some of the cults. Yeah. Like Nexium. It looks like a self-improvement program. It's only until you're too far in that yeah. you realize that it's not. Um, There is an interesting link to Billy McFarland. So, <sighs> it's a very tenuous link. I don't know how true it is, so that kind of fits in with literally everything about this story. Um, yeah. So, reportedly, at some point, when Anna had been abroad and she came back to New York and was trying to find a place to stay, she reportedly stayed in like the same place that Billy McFarland had been living at one point when he was you know, trying to run with the rich and famous in New York. Oh. And I can't remember. I can't remember where I read it. So I can't find it to say like what hotel it was. Um, but yeah, so that's your very <laughs> uh, sort of tenuous link to that. But that was going on at the same time as like Fire Festival. That all happened. Yeah, it was um, at the same time. Potential long cons colliding. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fire Festival and Adelvi edition. Yeah, right. Mm. Who knows? Maybe it was all her idea, guys. <laughs> it, Billy had nothing to do with it. He's so great. Yeah, blame the woman. <laughs> or maybe she got some ideas from him. Yeah. Blame him. Yeah. Please blame blame them all. Yeah. Um thoughts on this whole saga? Like it's amazing. I I love these kinds of stories from a reader perspective yeah. because they're just amazing to like. It, it's like this one and the McMillions and oh, the yeah. lottery hackers and the fire festival. It's sort of like this happened. This is amazing that this happened, and mm. you know, in many of these instances, it's like. It really sucks for the people who got taken taken advantage of. Yeah. But it's a hell of a fucking story. Yeah. I think this is the my like favorite episode that we've ever done. Cause I've always been like fascinated with true crime, you know, like like all the other podcasts that do like murder and all these violent crimes. I've yeah. always been fascinated by that. But since we started to like since we started podcasting, I've become so fascinated with white collar crime yeah and i don't know if that it just like money holds a fascination because they don't come from money and i know that's mm -hmm. kind of a universal truth for all, like most working class people have a fascination to a certain extent with like how the other half live yeah so apparently this is what i've read like like because money is something you think about so often when you don't have financial security yeah yeah 
well, I've like, especially last year, I've just become so interested in like white collar crime and the way it's justified as well because people are like, oh, well, it's victimless because the banks are defrauded. It's like, yes, do you remember what happened last time all the banks in the world got defrauded? Because <laughs> I fucking do. Bad shit. The bro. recession happened. Yeah. And yeah, and I just find it really interesting the way that, um, just just the way that white collar crime happens and like the canoe man episode which was one of our earliest mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. it's like episode six or seven i think it's eight eight so like everyone got like so everyone was so angry in that case because they only got like five or six years in prison and it's like because yeah. it's it's white collar crime it's financial it's the emotion attached to it that's is why these stories have such longevity. I think also that right now, over the last, I don't know, five or so years, we've seen a lot of these kinds of stories pop up. Mm-hmm. We've seen Fire Festival. We've seen Anna Delvey. We've seen Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Like... You know, the Silicon Valley version of this kind of oh. con. So that might be something oh. for us to do in the future. Mm. And she's also like a weird, a weird human person, <laughs> if if she can be called that. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like we're seeing a lot of these kinds of stories now. And I don't know if it's a symptom of of what like of the culture of the digital age of the social media age like but it seems to be this kind of crime is picking up personally with absolutely no expertise in any of this i think it's to do with social media in the digital age because you can so easily pretend to be someone you're not yeah and you can build you know, backstories. And... I mean, we could create an Instagram profile with a fake name and use a bunch of stock photos and make it look like we're living some jet set elite social elite like jet set social elite lifestyle. Yeah, got there eventually. You know, it it's very easy to do, and I think also like it's probably um, a symptom of the time right now because. Like, starting in, you know, 2008 with the recession, you know, this sort of global crash, Mm. that's right when all of these social media platforms were starting. Yeah. Facebook went widestream in 2008. Twitter was founded in 2009. Instagram in, like, 2010. I thought Twitter was older than that. It was either 2009 or 2007. Uh, I, it, it's like right around that time period. I, so, I had 2006 in my head, but I always have the wrong dates be. in my head. <laughs> Somewhere but, around there, right? But so like all of these things were just starting then. Mm. You've got a world that is economically depressed. Yeah. And people who are looking for mental escapes and, you know, Get rich quick opportunities, or just to, and it, or just like any opportunities. Well, that's the thing in the recession. It didn't matter whether it was get rich quick or not. It was get money to pay the bills. Yeah, it was like get me through this. Yeah, and 
And so that I think that that built up and led to this like escapist social media culture. Mm. And so then we've been conditioned throughout that time as this was all building up to mm. believe what we see on social media because it's a new platform and we don't all understand how it works and how easy it is to manipulate it. Mm. And so now it, it's it's all kind of come together in this thing of like, oh, well, this must be right. Yeah. I've read it on the internet. It must be true. Yeah. And think at that time as well, we had all of these like rich kid reality shows. You know, you had Made in Chelsea, The Hills, uh, Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you had the trashy ones (laughs) as well, but you had like all, and then you have the rich kids of Instagram and everything. So if you fit in to this lifestyle, again, it goes back to confidence. Yeah. You can run with it. Yeah. If you can keep up. People are going to believe it. Yeah. And um, so that BBC uh, series that I listened to as part of the research, uh, one of the people who was interviewed about it said that, you know, Anna's exploits were basically fake it till you make it on an industrial scale. Yeah. And that's what it was. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it's, I think it's probably also easier to expose some of these scams because even if there's not a paper trail there is a digital footprint out there somewhere yeah. of a lot of these things yeah and like you know th- i can sort of think of a handful of people like this from cases that mm-hmm. from the past from like the 70s or whatever and they got away with it because they just left the country and they yeah. they weren't trackable right but now, because of the digital footprint, you are trackable no matter what you do. Yeah, and it's like how many like old cases are there? Like the one that springs to mind for me is Lord Lucan, mm-hmm. who was a British lord. I'm going to say a cousin to the royal family, might be yeah. different, slightly differently removed. But and I believe is this if I'm thinking of the right person he was accused of murder or something or he was accused of something and he just disappeared and literally no one knows where he is he's probably dead like mm-hmm. i think age-wise he would without all the uh expensive health care the royal family gets he's yes. probably <laughs> dead by now yeah um but no one knows what happened yeah and there's just, just various people like that there, the one that comes to mind for me is Christopher Chichester, who like went around the world basically telling people that he was like a, a cousin of the Astor family or or like the Vanderbilts or something, and just lived life high on the hog with people in fancy places. And then there was like he murdered someone and buried them under a swimming pool or something. I, Kind of don't remember the whole story. It rings a bell. Yeah, it's one of those that's like, (gasps) you've heard about it before. I think I know. I'm just going to check because I think it's been covered on a a podcast that's about Red Collar. It's literally Uh called Red Collar. It's about like when White Collar, Red Collar is when White Collar turns violent. Yeah. Oh, no, that was uh, Rockefeller. So it was someone pretending to be part of the Rockefeller oh. family. But yeah, I'm sure there was a a swimming pool and a dead body involved. Oh, I think that is it. So 
he assumed the identity of Clark Rockefeller. Yes. Yeah, that's him. That's... Yeah. But, like, he managed to do it mm. because it was, you know, the 70s, and you could mm. travel around to different countries, and no one would be any the wiser. Yeah, and even back in the 60s, 70s, you could move, a few, like, 100 miles away and start a new life. Yeah. It, I mean, just look at John List. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about John List. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Because I yeah. do think we're we're hearing more about it, and maybe it's happening more often, or maybe we're just hearing more about it. But, like, I find it really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and if you do, if you find it fascinating as well, please tell us and we'll do more like yeah. this because we love doing these. Yeah. Um, and yeah, give us any suggestions that you've heard of because if nothing else, we're going to go read about them and gonna learn about them in our spare time. Fall down some rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, last fun fact for this episode. Uh, apparently, uh, Sorokina, which is Anna's birth name. So apparently Sorokina means magpie in Russian. I didn't fact check this because I didn't want to know if it's not true because I like it. <laughs> but yeah, magpie is obviously known for being attracted to shiny things. Oh, good episode. Very, very good. I like this one. Yeah, and definitely give us your reactions and suggestions for similar cases. Uh, and if you like the show, do be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app especially Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to us so you never miss a, mu a new episode. And for the month of July, such as it remains, mm -hmm. uh, you can get 30% off all of our merch uh, by using the code WOW30 at checkout. We've recently revamped our merch store and sort of streamlined our product catalog and lowered a bunch of prices. So be sure to have a look at all that and use the discount code by heading to squaremileofmurder.store. And if you'd like to help us cover the costs of making the podcast and help us invest in the future of the show, you can join our Patreon page. Tiers start at just £1 per month. Every patron gets regular episodes one day early, a shout-out on the show, priority case requests, and a lifetime merch discount. That's just for £1 a month, or like £12 a year. As tiers go up, you get even more, including bonus episodes and exclusive Money Can't Buy merch. Uh, check that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. Links are in all the usual places. And uh, we will be back on Friday. For patrons, I think. Yes. We're recording ahead of time, so we're Probably. a bit confused on dates. And uh, everyone else, we'll be back next week uh, with our new April, uh, August theme, uh, which hopefully is Ancient Serial Killers. And if it's changed before, then yes. you can edit it this bit out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Ancient Serial Killers, we will see you next week. Bye. Yeah, see you then. Bye.